Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. We've been having some issues over the past three months uh, getting our podcast out. We've had some audio issues. I've had some work issues, but we've got the audio issues fixed, and I now work full time for the church. So, getting the podcast content out to you on a regular basis won't be a problem anymore. So, over the next few days or weeks, I'll be uploading. Uh, our Sundays that we've been missing, and we'll get those caught up as soon as possible. Uh, We are beginning, this is the beginning of a new series entitled Soul Repair, and the first message in this series is I'm Hopeless. Please enjoy. All righty, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Psalm 130. Psalm 130 this morning, that's where we'll start. And then we'll uh, go a couple other places this morning. I'm glad everybody's here this morning. Thank you for being a part of our service on this fine day. And what a great day to be in the house of God. Psalm number 30. We're beginning a new series this morning that we're going to go through for the next 40 days. We're going to take 40 days. We're going to go through this series and I'm going to explain it once we get into the message this morning. But Psalms chapter, Psalm 30, I had a professor in in Bible college. He would would get on to me for calling Psalms a chapter. Not a chapter. Psalm 130. Um, Let me get you to invite you to stand, please, in respect and reverence to the Word of God. We're just going to read the first two verses of Psalm 30. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. The title of the message this morning is, I'm Hopeless. I'm Hopeless. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask the Spirit this morning to fill our hearts and our minds, Lord, Lord, I pray that you visit us in the service this morning, Lord. I pray that the Word of God would jump out of the pages of Scripture and would infiltrate our lives and our minds and our hearts, Lord. And Lord, may we begin to heal from some things that we've experienced. Lord, be with this series that we're going to preach, Lord, this Sunday morning series. Be with the message that you're going to bring to us this morning from the Word of God. Help us to become closer to you. Be with us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What we have experienced over the last year has been very trying for us. It has been very trying. It's a very trying time in our lives. It's a very trying time in our country And this global pandemic has kind of struck at the heart of many people and struck at the heart of many nations and struck at the heart of of many institutions. And to be honest, it's been hard on a lot of people. Even taking into consideration the fear-mongering of the media, we all still know one who's been touched by this disease. Let me ask you a couple of questions today. How many people today do you think are tired? How many people today do you think are overwhelmed? 
How many people today do you think are angry? How many people today do you think are hurt? How many souls today feel hopelessness in the day and time in which we live? Because we have to remember, when we see a person, that's not just a person, that is a soul. Every person is a soul. We have to remember that. People are souls. We're going to start a new series at Chesbro Baptist Church called Soul Repair. And what we're going to do for the next 40 days is we're going to lick our wounds. What we're going to do for the next 40 days is we're going to come out of this fog that we've been in over the last year because, you know, it's time for us to kind of get back to normal. It's time for things to start start back up and it's time for things to get going again. It's time for us to get refocused and it's time for us to get remotivated. It's time to get back to some normalcy. After all, the CD said you don't have to wear a mask outside anymore. I'm like, wear a mask outside? Were we supposed to be doing that? I wasn't doing that. I wasn't wearing a mask inside, outside. But, you know, we've accumulated these wounds over the last year. And now it's time that we heal. It's time that we lick our wounds. It's time to recharge. It's time to remotivate. It's time to refocus. And so what we're going to work on for the next 40 days is fixing our souls. Getting ready to move forward. And I believe a good place to start that is in the Psalms. Let me tell you something, there is a psalm for every season of your life. There are 150 of those psalms, and there's a a psalm for every season of your life. When you're on the mountaintop, hey, let me tell you something, there is a psalm for you when you're on the mountaintop. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalms 126.2 Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Man, there's a psalm for you when you're on the mountaintop. But then there's a psalm for you when you're in the valley. There's a psalm for you when you're in despair. There's a psalm for you when you are in that dark place. And we've all been to that dark place. And let me express to you this morning that no one knew despair in the Bible quite like David did. No one in the Bible knew that dark place was more familiar with desperation, was more familiar with despair than David was. He was familiar with that dark place. Let me tell you something, David had his victories and David killed his Goliaths and David danced in the streets. But David also ran for his life. David also hid in the caves. David also was betrayed. David also was shamed. David also was dishonored. There were times in David's life where he wanted nothing more than to go to the house of God and fellowship with the people of God and enjoy the festivals of Israel and the feasts of Israel. There was nothing he wanted more than to do that, but he knew if he popped his head out of his cave, he would die. 
His best friend's dad tried to murder him. His own son betrayed him and tried to take his kingdom away. And if anybody has ever felt hopeless, it was David. I'm talking to Christians in this building this morning. You feel hopeless. I'm talking to Christians online this morning. You feel hopeless. Let's take a look at a hopeless soul. Psalm 130. Let's read verses 1 and 2 again. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. That phrase, out of the depths, is a, it's a Jewish figurative expression. It's one of extreme duress. It's one of extreme distress. And let me tell you, when... when, when and we don't know for a fact that David wrote Psalm 30, 130, but we're not sure that he didn't. And one of the deepest places that David had ever been in his life was a place called the Cave of Adullam. The Cave of Adullam is one of the deepest places that he'd ever been. One of the darkest places that he'd ever been in his life. I mean, David was a young man who was to be king. Not only was he to be king, he was also a musician who played beautiful music. David was a statesman. David was a mighty warrior. David came down the streets and they sang his praises. David who, who killed his tens of thousands. But then King Saul had other plans. King Saul grew jealous. And soon David found himself running for his life. David found himself displaced from everything he knew. He found his life turned upside down. He couldn't go home anymore. He couldn't go to the tabernacle and worship God anymore. And he may have thought to himself, God, you called me for this? You chose me for this? What exactly is hopelessness? Hopelessness is the state of being where you have nothing to look forward to. Have you ever been there? I know I have. Have you ever been to that place where it just feels like you've got nothing to look forward to? There are many things in our lives that can put us in that cave with David. Losing a loved one can put us in that cave with David. A sick child can put us in that cave with David. Hey, stress, stress at the job. How many people bring the job home and lay awake at night thinking about their job? Man, stress at the job can put us in that cave. Let me tell you something. Social media can put us in that cave. How many time, many hours have you walked the floor thinking about a Facebook post? I know that sounds ridiculous, but it, we're humans. Stuff gets under our skin. It does. People say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt you. Words will hurt you worse than sticks and stones ever will. You can break a bone and you'll be good in a couple weeks, but somebody can say a crossword to you and you won't speak to them for 50 years. Words hurt. 
even the media, even the news media in general can put us in a dark, depressive state in that cave with David. See, we all, like David, we get into that dark place. Some people, however, they get inside of that dark place where they feel hopeless and they feel like they have nothing to look forward to and they stay there and it leads to suicide. Suicide is a big problem. Our study showed that over the last 20 years, suicides have increased by 33%. That's a third. That's a big number. Has increased by one-third over the last 20 years. That is a big number. Why? People feel hopeless. Please, I'm here to tell you today, it isn't hopeless. If you've ever had those thoughts, if you're in here today and you've ever had those thoughts, I'm here to tell you right now, it is not hopeless. Please know that it's not. Because you know what the word adullam actually means? It means retreat. It means Refuge. David was taking refuge. And do you know what God did for David in that cave of refuge? He didn't bring David there to destroy him. He brought David there to restore him, not destroy. God puts you in that dark place in your life not to destroy your life, not to strip your life away from you. God puts you in that dark place of despair and discouragement and depression. He puts you there to restore you. Sometimes in order for something to be fixed, it has to be broken. Something's wrong with an engine. You've got to take that engine out. You've got to take that engine apart to get it fixed. Brokenness is a place that us Christians need to be familiar with. Brokenness is a place we need to be familiar with. Number one, because brokenness can't be avoided. And brokenness can actually be good for Christians to get to that place of brokenness. And we'll get more into that as we get into the message. But let me tell you something. Hopelessness can hit you out of nowhere. We can just be going down the road one day, living our normal life, and a wave of depression will hit us, will wash over us, and, and sometimes our loved ones can see it in our faces. But you know, most of the time, we're really good at hiding it aren't we? We're really good at hiding when we're in that dark place. And a lot of times, nobody knows it but us and God. But we become really good at hiding it. So what is the answer to hopelessness? Well, how do we fix, how do we fix that part of ourselves that cries out to God from the depths and we cry out as if God doesn't hear us and we feel like God is not listening to us. How do we fix a hopeless soul? I've got three fixes for you this morning. Three fixes for a hopeless soul. Number one, a waiting soul. A waiting soul. Let's read verses 5 and 6 of Psalms 130. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in His word do I hope. 
My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. The watchman for the morning, that's really, that's really talking about shepherds. Shepherds waiting for the morning to come, waiting for their shift to be over. This psalm here is the first psalm in the Psalms of Ascent. They're a group of psalms that are, are people coming out of... Uh, it's, it's, it's psalms of someone coming out someplace dark into someplace greater. And the writer of the psalm asked the question, My soul is waiting for the Lord. So if he's asking himself that question, that's a question that me and you need to ask ourselves as well. The question we need to ask ourselves, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? We could also ask ourselves, who are we waiting for? Where is our hope? Is our hope on social media? Because there's always going to be somebody else that gets more likes than you. There's always going to be somebody that criticizes on you, that criticizes you. You know, when you get the perfect post and it makes you so happy and everybody's just commenting under it, yay, yay, yay. But then you got that one person that says something so negative and just ruins the vibe of the whole thing. There's always somebody that's going to criticize. There's always somebody that's going to get more attention than you, get more likes than you. Is our hope in politicians? Let me tell you something about politicians on both sides. Most of them only care about their job. They only care about keeping their job and they could care less about you. Okay? And that's true. All right? A politician is not going to fix it. Is it your employer? Do you ever think, man, if I could just climb that ladder at work, everything would be okay? Man, if I could just get that raise at work, everything would be good? Man, if I could just get a better paying job, it would fix everything in my life. But would it really? Would it really? Is your hope in a relationship? Are you looking to another person for your happiness? Is your happiness dependent upon somebody else? Let me tell you something about human beings. Human beings make great mates. They make lousy gods. Human beings make lousy gods. And I'm here to tell you today that if you put your hope in a person, no matter who that person will be, that human being will let you down. That human being will disappoint you. Why? Because they're human. We are not perfect and we never will be. I certainly am not. This morning I told you to sit when you stood and stood when you should have sit. I am not perfect and I never will be. If your hope is in a person, you will be let down. There was, a rich, there was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus. This rich young ruler came to Jesus, a rich young man, and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's asking Jesus, what can I do? Not what can you do. What can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, okay, well, if you're trying to be perfect 
then you need to keep all the commandments, all of them. And the young man looked at Jesus and said, man, I've been, I've been doing that since I was born. I've been doing that since I was a baby. So Jesus, in an attempt to show this rich young man that he wasn't perfect, and in fact show him that he was a sinner, said, okay, leave everything you have. Give away all your stuff and follow me. And the Bible says he went away sorrowful. He went away sad. He went away hopeless because his hope was in stuff. That's where his hope was. That's what Jesus was trying to show him. Don't hope in stuff. Don't put your hope in the stuff of this world. Don't put your hope in other people. So if we are not to put our hope in other people, if we are not to put our hope in the things of this world, what do we put our hope in? The verse said, and in His Word do I hope. In His Word do I hope. Put your hope in the Word of God because the Word of God cannot fail. Matthew 5.18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. John 10.35, If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. We need to be waiting on God. We don't need to be waiting on the temporal things of this world. We need to put our hope in the Word. Psalms, 1, Psalms 119 has so many verses on this. So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your Word. Remember the Word to your servant in which you have made me hope. My soul languishes for your salvation. I wait for your Word. You are my hiding place, my shield. I wait for your Word. Word. We need to wait on the Word. We need to put our hope in the Word of God. Brett, you're preaching on reading the Bible again. You preached on reading the Bible last week. Well, guess what? Maybe we should read the Bible. Maybe we should study the Bible. And guess what? You make time for things that are important to you. You make time for things that are important to you. But then you got us who grew up in church. You got us that went to Sunday school and we went to vacation Bible school and we memorized the Bible. We've been around the Bible all our lives. So we, we think we pretty much got this thing here figured out. Man, I've heard so much Bible and read so much Bible all my life. I know how this works out. I've got this thing all figured out. One of the things that my dad would love to do when I was a kid, my dad loved the movie First Blood. He loved John Rambo, okay? So we would sit there, and he would play this movie, and we would watch it over and over, and I got to where I loved it so much that he went out and got me a, a Rambo survival knife, okay? So I had the compass on the end, and I could unscrew the compass, and the handle was hollow, and you dump it out in matches, and a suture kit was inside. Man, I was eight years old, but I was ready for battle triage, 
okay? And man, I, we would watch this movie, and I remember sitting down to this movie, and without fail, every single time the movie came on, my dad would crack the exact same joke every, I mean, he's a dad, what's he going to do? And you know, he would crack the exact same joke every single time. Oh, John Rambo would be walking down the mountain at the beginning of the movie. The credits would be scrolling across the screen. And every single time, my dad would say, I wonder if old Rambo's going to make it this time. And I would always laugh. I don't know, Dad. Maybe, maybe this time he might not make it. But guess what? He made it every time. He always made it through. But you know, reread the Bible and we think we know what it says. Hey, you know what? David always kills Goliath. That, he always kills Goliath. Oh, Jonah, guess what? He always gets swallowed by that whale every single time. Oh, Jesus, he always turns water into wine. He doesn't mix it up every once in a while and turn it into Kool-Aid. He always turns the water into wine every single time time doesn't he so we get to this place where we think man i've i've read that before it didn't help me then how is it going to help me now or we get to the point where we say i already know what happens in that story what is rereading it going to do for me but you see you may have knowledge of the bible but you don't know how a verse will hit you until you get to a certain season in your life. You don't know how it's, how it's going to hit you. The Word of God is not activated by your intelligence of it. Your intelligence of it. The word of, the, word, the, the word of God is activated by your faith in it. So your intelligence of it, your knowledge of it doesn't activate this book. Your faith is what activates this book. We say, we say this all the time. You can read a verse a hundred times and, 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 not get, and not get anything out of it, but then you can read it a hundred and one times and get something out of it you've never seen before. And yes, that is absolutely 100% true. But you know what's also true? What's also true is we need to know that you can read the same truth in the Bible a hundred times. And then one day you're going through a season of hopelessness in your life. And you read that verse and you see the same old truth in a new way. It's not new information. It's not like God revealed something new to you. It's just this information that you already knew became real to you because it's just what you need in this season of your life. The Word of God is activated by our faith in it, not our intelligence of it. Let your hope be in the Word of God. This is where your hope needs to be. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. While Psalm 130 may have not been written by David, we are fairly sure that Psalm 42 was. In Psalm 42, the first part, the first half of Psalm 42, the writer is talking about being in a drought. 
He's just in a drought of despair, a, a, a drought of things that he needs. And then the last half of the psalm is about that same writer being in a, in a flood. He's drowning. He's drowning in this hopelessness. And he's, he's desperate and he's hopeless until he calls out to God. Let's look at the title of the psalm. The title of the psalm says, A Maskell of the Sons of Korah. What does the word maskell mean? A maskell means a contemplation or a lesson. So it's just a lesson that he's trying to teach. And up to this point, we've seen, the, it says chief musician. Your Bible may even say choir director. Okay, we've seen that before in Psalms up to this point. We've seen the word maskell in Psalms up to this point. But one thing we have not seen up to this point is the sons of Korah. We haven't seen the sons of Korah. Who were they? Well, we remember back in the day of Moses, there was a man that raised up a rebellion against Moses, and his name was Korah. And the Bible says the earth opened up and swallowed Korah and swallowed all of his followers, but not his children. See, God sent grace to the sons of Korah. And the sons of Korah, that Levitical line of the sons of Korah, were so grateful and thankful to God for sparing their lives that they began to sing in the tabernacle. And they continued to sing in the temple of God. So David says, hey, this song about someone that's hopeless, I want the sons of Korah to sing it. Because they were hopeless, and now they have hope. So we're, we're going to get into this psalm just for a second. And my second point this morning is a fix for a hopeless soul. Point number two is a waiting soul. A waiting soul. Psalms 42, let's read the first three verses. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? So the writer's tears and his soul is crying out, where is your God? Well, where is he? Where is your God? Have you ever just not wanted to get out of bed? Have you ever just, you didn't want to get up because you didn't want to face the day, but then you got to go to work. You got to pay the bills. So you get up. And when you get up, there are certain expectations of you because you identify as a Christian. And everybody knows Christians don't get depressed. And everybody knows that Christians always have to be happy and Christians always have to have a smile and Christians always have to put the face on and Christians always have to do that because a Christian isn't supposed to get down and a Christian's not supposed to feel bad and a Christian's not supposed to get depressed and a Christian's not supposed to get angry and a Christian's not supposed to get fearful. And people are watching you. The lost people are watching you. And then your kids act up in the store and you really don't feel like acting like a Christian. 
to your kids. You kind of just, your flesh really just wants to go off on them, just go Medea on them for a minute, and then go back to being a Christian. That's what you feel like. But we say, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. So then we have things that we say. Somebody comes up to you, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are things at work? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. How's the family? Oh, we're all good. We're all good. Don't you have that health issue? Oh, I'm not claiming it. We good? We're all good. We're good. And the truth is, deep down, you're not good. You're not good. Look, I'm not telling you to unload your problems on everybody that asks you. But what I am telling you, God cannot fix what we aren't willing to admit is broken. God cannot fix what we are not willing to admit is broken. Psalm 42, 4. These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. You know, this song really could be entitled The Confessions of a Worship Leader. Okay, it, it really could. He's saying, I remember being with the family of God. I remember joyfully going to the house of God. I remember being moved by worship. I remember the joy I felt. I remember the gratitude I felt. I remember people coming down and giving their lives to God and getting right with God. But then something happened to this worship leader. You know what happened to him? Life. Life happened. Nothing can knock you down like life can. Nothing can come along and punch you in the gut and take your wind away quite like life can. Nothing can come along and take the wind out of yourselves quite like life. Life happened to him. And when that happened, do you know what he did? He remembered back the good old days. He remembered the good old days. But, you know, remembering the good old days did something for him. Because let's look in the next verse, verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? He starts having a conversation with himself. You ever say, you ever hear the thing, uh, you can talk to yourself as long as you don't start answering yourself. That's another dad joke. But listen, he starts having a conversation with himself. And in fact, he has a conversation with his own soul. And he looks at his soul and he says, what's up, bro? What's up, man? What's really going on? What's, what's your problem? Verse 5, hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. He's still talking to his soul. He's like... Why are you in despair, soul? Have you forgotten who your God is? Why are you in desperation? Why are you disturbed? Why are you down? Did you forget who saved you? Did you forget what he saved you from? He's having a conversation with his own soul. You see, our pain leads us to question God. But our faith leads us to question our pain. And he's saying, what's up, soul? Did you forget that our God is love? 
Soul, did you forget that he's righteous in all his ways? Did you forget he's greater than your heart and he knows everything? Did you forget that God doesn't change? Did you forget he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? Did you forget there is none holy like the Lord? There is none besides him. There is no rock like our God. Did you forget that our Lord is great, abundant in power? His understanding is beyond measure. Have you forgotten that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills? And the reason why you are down is because you forgot the God you serve. You forgot what he's like. You forgot how powerful he is. You forgot how sovereign he is. You forgot that he owns everything. You forgot that he is love. You forgot that he loves you and cares for you and has a plan for you. And you are not alone. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Your soul forgot that. He forgot it. So what is this guy doing? How do you fix a hopeless soul? Acknowledge your pain. Don't ignore it. Acknowledge it. But then at the same time, acknowledge who your God is. And when you compare the two, one is greater than the other. One is greater than the other. And then number three, posturing soul. Verse six. Oh my God. My soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. I want you to see what he does in this verse. He admits that his soul's in despair. And then he lists three places. These are three places that David hid while he was in exile. He hid in these places. And what did he do? While he was in these places. His soul was in despair. He's in these places where he's exiled from where he thinks he should be. So what does he do? He remembers God. I used to go to a Christian school. I graduated from a Christian school. I went to a Christian high school. And one of the things they made us do was every month we had to memorize a chapter of the Bible. Now, I haven't retained all of those. I haven't. Uh, most of them, but uh, you know, I haven't retained a lot of that. But one thing that I did retain was the first chapter in the Bible that I ever memorized was Psalm one. That is in me, and it's not going anywhere for a while. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. That chapter is in me, and from time to time, when I get down. That's what I do. I rehearse that. And that's what David's doing here. In his despair, he's rehearsing what he knows about God. He's going back over it. He's remembering it. He's rehearsing it. And you know what that makes me think of? That makes me think of Stephen. Stephen was in the lowest place of his life. He's standing before the Jewish leaders. His life is on the line. And you know what he does? He starts back at Abraham. And he starts preaching every single thing that God has done for Israel. And he just 
pours out the whole Old Testament, everything that he's been taught about Israel, everything he's been taught about God, he pours it out. He points to Jesus. And in his low place, in his desperation, and in his despair, he remembers God. So was Stephen rescued? No. He was killed. He died. But in his last moments, God pulled back the veil of heaven and he saw Jesus Christ standing on the right hand of God and he got confirmation before he died, before he died that me and you could only wish for. Me and you could only hope for. He got that. Oh, Brent, that's a bummer. He still died though. I thought you said the situation wasn't hopeless. It's not. It's not hopeless. Because Stephen knew something. He knew something. What Stephen knew is you can't always control your circumstances. You can never control your circumstances. It's out of your control. What you can control is your posture. That is something you can control. You see, you have no idea what your circumstances will ever be, ever. But no matter what your circumstances are, you can control your posture. You can make that decision before the circumstances get to you. You can say, God, no matter what happens to me, this is how I will always respond. We can make that decision today, and Stephen's going to show us how to do it. Right here at the end of the message, I've got two last points. Very quickly, Stephen is going to show us the posture that we need to take when our soul is in hopelessness and despair. Number one, surrender. Surrender. The Bible says in Acts 7, they went on stoning Stephen and he called unto the Lord, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You surrender to Him. You let go and you let God. You stop resisting and you start submitting to His will. You accept His authority and His sovereignty in your life. Fighting against the current's only going to wear you out, make you, too t make you tired, and you're still going to go where God wants you to go. That's what fighting against the current will do for you. Quit trying to mold your life into what you want it to be. You be the clay and you let him be the potter. You surrender to him. Your posture in all circumstances of your life should be, I surrender to the will of the Father. Look, you may have to go through some rough waters in your life. But you will navigate those waters a lot better if you're not fighting against the current, striving for your own will. People go through a trial and they say, I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And you might not be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But let me tell you, you serve a God that will meet you in the darkness of the tunnel and he will lead you to the light. But you have to surrender to him. Then number two, humility. It says, then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, 
Do not hold this against them. So surrender and fall to your knees. Now, I'm stepping down on this step. So if I get down on my knees, I'm not getting back up. All right? Knees been hurting me this morning. But this is the posture. I surrender and I get on my knees. You know, even getting on your knees is a sign of humility. You know what else is a sign of humility? What he said, Stephen said to God, do not lay this sin to their charge. Think about the humility. He said that about the people who, were, who was taking his life. You come to the place where you say, God, I surrender to your will because I cannot do this without you. I cannot do this without you. Seeing nothing is ever hopeless when you're a child of God. Martin Nystrom was born in 1956. He was a graduated from Oral Roberts University with a degree in music education. Oral Roberts taught praise and uh, not Oral Roberts, uh, but uh, Martin Nystrom taught music education, and he taught praise and worship music all over the world. He went to Hong Kong, Korea. I mean, I could just list all the countries all over the world that Martin Nystrom taught praise and worship at. One day in 1981, he was reading Psalm 42, and he got an idea for a song. He wanted to remind himself to always seek the person of Christ. So he started at Psalm 42 and he began to jump all over the Bible and pull in truths from all over the Bible. And this is the song that he wrote. As the deer painteth for the water, so my soul longs after thee. You alone are my heart's desire and I long to worship thee. You're my friend and you are my brother even though you are a king. I love you more than any other, so much more than anything. I want you more than gold or silver, only you can satisfy. You alone are the real joy giver and the apple of my eye. You alone are my strength and my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire and I long to worship thee. February 27, 1991, during the Desert Storm War, there was a woman by the name of Ruth Dillo. Ruth Dillo got a call, a call that she was dreading. Her son, Clayton Carpenter, stepped on a landmine and died. For the next three days, Miss Ruth was so distraught, so grieved, no one could console her. Three days after the tragedy, she got a phone call. She picked up the phone and said hello, and um, the voice from the other phone said, Mom, it's me. I'm alive. And at first she thought this was just a cruel joke, but the more she talked to her son, the more she began to realize that it actually was her son. Later she laughed and cried and rejoiced because what seemed to be a hopeless situation turned out to be the greatest day in her life. And do you know why nothing is hopeless? Because we serve a God that can do anything. We serve a God that can do anything. 
What did the three Hebrew boys say? Even if we don't die, even if we're burned up by the furnace, we still will not bow down, King. We will still serve our God. God has the ability to pull us out of the furnace. And that is why things are never hopeless for us.